May 10th, 2023. We're in Masechet Berachot and Tetvav Amud Bet, three lines from the bottom. Says the Gemara, Amar Bihama Berbihanina, Kolakore Kiriachema, Umedaktek Beotioteha, Mesanenimlo Gehinam. So the statement here of Rabbi Hama is Kolha in the name of Rabbi Hanina. Anyone who reads Kiriyat Shema and is careful in uttering and reciting its words appropriately, Misaneninlo. Sonen, of course, means something that's cold. Uh, so you'll be cooled off your Gehenam. Gehenam we imagine as an existence where there's heat, where it's boiling hot with fire and furnaces. Uh, saying Kiryat Shema, of course, not to be taken in the full, fully literal sense, but somehow we're imagining saying words appropriately, being careful, being midaktik in them, can cool off those furnace-y, furnaces, uh, furnaces of, of heat in Gehenam, Shine Emar. And we'll try to understand, at the very least, a little bit of the concept in a moment, but first the Pasuk that they cite as, uh, as a reference to this. Befares Shaddai Melachim Bah. Tashleg besalmon. Al tikre befares ela befaresh. Al tikre besalmon ela besalmavet. Pasuk here is befares means to spread out. It's a reference to the reception of the Torah. Hakadosh Baruch Hu Kivyachol spread it out in front of us. That's the melachim, the pasuk in, in Mishle, which Rashi alludes to. It says, Be melachim yimlochu, that kings will, so to speak, Get gain their honor and monarchy through Torah. Tashlech b'salmon, the pasuk says, it'll have the ability to bring uh, snow, which is spread out in salmon. Uh, salmon probably means night in that context. The specifics of the peshat, not significant for us. The derashah over here, however, is instead of reading it befares, spread out, we read it as befaresh. Lefaresh, mefurash, beferush means something that's explicit. If you're explicit with your words, melachim ba, hakadosh baruch Hu will, uh, in the context of Torah and through Torah, as Rashi explains, tashlech, milashon shelek, snow, making it cold, salmon, we're t- reading instead as selmavet. Selmavet, the Gemara in Eruvin and Dafyotet says, is one of the seven names of Gehenam. What's sil mavit? You're, so to speak, in the shade of death. Uh, so in turn, the derashah is, if you're being mefaresh, your words appropriately, it will cool off the difficult circumstances that could or may lay up ahead. What's the concept in our context? Not so simple. Bet Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo, suggests that uh, through being careful and deliberate with your words, sometimes that brings a natural heat in your body. When a person focuses a lot, they have a way of, of kind of uh, sweating. That, that heating, that, uh, uh, that, that natural heat which you'll bring about will make it that you're almost immune to any other heat. Again, the concept in context more than anything is um, encouragement that we uh, appropriately pronounce words. It's furthermore, he quotes from Rabbi Yitzhak Abu Hab, uh, Rabbi Yosef Karo is suggesting, uh, interestingly, he's almost naturalizing this, that through exerting yourself, through bringing forth passion to something positive, that might be the best way to say it, it in turn will take away our passion from negative things. If you're sweating over the important stuff, you won't sweat the difficult stuff, I guess is the easiest way that you can, you can mention in our context. But the punchline then is, 
be careful, deliberate, and and appropriately pronounce words in Kiryat Shema, and by extension, anytime you're speaking words of Torah. So my, my question on this is, it, it almost seems to negate what we learned last time, which it's turning it into an encouragement, and you really should instead of must. If it was a must, you don't need any of this. You must do it, period. Now that they're saying it's so good that if you do it, this will happen, it makes it sound like we're trying to make it a halakha. We wish it said hayah, but unfortunately it doesn't, so we're going to have to try to encourage you our best way possible. I hear what you're saying. The only thing is what we were talking about last time what, at the very end was that you need to be noten revach ben hadevekim, which means to say you need to separate between words. That's not what we're referring to now, it appears. We're referring instead to what the Mishnah said, kara Remember that? You just didn't properly pronounce. It's not that you, you made a mistake in the articulation that you connected two words one to the other. It's, uh, as an example, as a Sfaradi, we could say it's that you didn't enunciate your ayin or your het properly. You're still going to fulfill it. So the Mishnah has, in fact, a mahloket. It's a mahloket. We were posek in our Gemara, your yose. Do you follow? Your yose. And nonetheless, but it was a great question, nonetheless, the Gemara is saying, but... You might be Yosef, this is the type of situation where if you could take advantage of this and, uh, and truly exert yourself, put the energy and the sweat into this, boil up, so to speak, your body on the positive words of, of God in Torah and Kriyat Shema, that will in turn yield dividends with regards to your perspective approach to anything and everything else in terms of challenges of life. Says Gemara ve'amar bihama berebihanina, lamma nismechu ohalim lanehalim. Or lin halim. Uh, why is it that in the Torah it's in Parashat Balak, Bilam in some way or another, as we'll read in the pasuk, juxtaposes. He puts one right next to the other. Reference of ohalim tents and nehalim streams. Now, of course, Bilam is in the context of his blessings, inscriptions of Am Yisrael. And in turn, the derasha that we'll make will not be peshat. The peshat is the way that he speaks about the greatness of Am Yisrael, their structure and their merits and so forth. But we're going to make a derasha. What is ohil in the eyes of the rabbis? A tent. And ohil in the eyes of the rabbis is a place of Torah. Yaakov ishtam yoshev ohalim. The hachamim say he was immersed in study of Torah. Adam kiyamut beohil. We learned from that. At the beginning of parashat hukat. Hayav adam lahamit et al haTorah. You need to, so speak, give your life up for uh, diligence and involvement in Torah and so forth. So ohalim is supposed to already have a trigger, Torah. Nehalim, streams, rivers. What does that have to do with Torah? Dichtiv, where does the pasuk mention them in, in close proximity one to the other? Kinhalim nitayu keganot ale nahar ahalim nata. So the pasuk talks about the planting of Ohel of uh, tents, but it as well talks about ganot ale nahar, um, gardens that are on streams, that are on rivers, nehalim nitayu, streams that are passing by. Lomar lecha, what do we learn from this um, close proximity of ohel, of tents, of Torah, and nehalim and uh, nahar? Ma nehalim ma'alin ta'adam mitumal tahara, af ohalim ma'alin ta'adam mikaf hova. The suggestion is the same way everybody knows that to immerse yourself in a stream, 
to be tovel in a natural body of water will bring you tahara. You came from being impure and you achieved purity through immersing yourself. So too, Torah can and will bring a person from kaf hova to kaf zechut, from the side on the scale, that's called kaf hova of being guilty, to the side on the scale, outweighing it in terms of being righteous. Uh, what does this mean? Well, first and foremost, you understand why this was mentioned in our Gemara. We just a moment ago talked about if you learn Torah appropriately, you can save yourself in some way from the fiery furnaces of Gehinam. Gemara continues that thought. Torah can purify you. Torah can bring you zechut. How can we, maybe one perspective, uh, appreciate this statement? I've mentioned more than once a Midrash that I remember learning and then hearing mentioned. And the Midrash describes how there was a king who had several people, uh, his workers and his servants, his slaves. He says to them, here's what I need you to do. Take these receptacles, take these containers, bring them down to the river at the bottom and fill them up and then bring them back to me. So each one of the slaves go down and start filling up these containers. As each one takes it and pulls it out, they notice there's a hole at the bottom. So the last few men who, do, who see this taking place realize they're taking their turns. So this is a waste of time. There's a hole. By the time we get back up to the palace, to the mansion, to the castle of the king, it's going to be empty anyway, not worth our time. They turn around together with everyone else, make their way back to the king. Now the king receives these men, and he turns to the several who had put their, their utensils their containers into the water and says, good job, thank you very much. The others, he says, how'd you fail my word? How come you didn't listen to me? To which, of course, they respond, your majesty, what do you mean? There were holes in the receptacles. There were holes in these containers. It wasn't worth us doing so. It was one thing, you gave us faulty containers. That's why if you gave us proper containers, we never would have defied your word. Silly slaves and servants, he says to them. You assumed that I needed the water. That's not what I was searching for. I was looking for instead clean receptacles, clean containers. By having the water run through it, by filling it up with the water and letting it drop out on your climb up the mountain, you would have cleaned my containers. The reference in that context is to Torah as well. Torah might not last with us the knowledge at all times, the understanding, even the halakha. We might sometimes walk away confused and uncertain as to what this really tells me in a practical sense in life. However, the statement of this Gemara, of that Midrash, of the vision of the rabbis of our tradition, is that Torah has a way of purifying our mind, our soul, and our and our being. Uh, to become a person who goes from kaf hovat, kaf zechut, might not be performed because and through knowing what to do properly. But the study of Torah in and of itself can purify you. You're reading the words of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You're purifying your thought and mind by saying, my thought will be seen through the lenses. It will be refracted through the perspective of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his words. That's the statement perhaps in our Gemara, that Torah have a way of purifying much as the Nehalim. Continues the Gemara, as we learned in the Mishnah, if a person reads the Pesukim. What, what did the last thing we just said have to do with what we said at the beginning? Oh, so that's what I mentioned just a moment ago. That what we met, what we learned at the beginning is that um, that Torah, if done properly, so to speak, has a way of saving you from punishment, of changing your way through uh, the difficulties. But it wasn't the same this statement rabbis. as well. 
No, it's a similar uh, it's a similar concept, is my understanding of of their connection. Uh, continues the Gemara, and it says, uh, A person, our Mishnah told us, reads the Kiryat Shema backwards, you don't fulfill it. What do you mean? You need to read it forward. You need to understand what you're reading. The Pesukim need to make sense, not just about uttering the words. It's about uttering the words, saying them in a coherent fashion. And so the Gemara tells how these two rabbis, Rabbi Amen and Rabbi Aseh, were tying or knotting a genana, a chupah for Rabbi Al-Azhar. It appears as if Rabbi Al-Azhar was ready to get married, and these two rabbis were setting up his chupah. Imagine that. You know, hard, hard to uh, envision that in today's day and age. You're dealing with the Gedolei Hador uh, standing uh, in in place of the caterers and wedding planner in setting up the chupah. Amar lehu says Rabbi Al-Azhar to the two rabbis, which means to say, as this is taking place, in other words, instead of me just watching, standing back and observing you building the chupah for me, knotting up those ties and, and ropes which you're placing over it, I'd rather be doing something perhaps that can help me in a constructive fashion. Ezil, I'll go milata I'll go and listen to a word in the Be'er Midrash. Let me go hear some Torah. Instead of just being present for the two of you, maybe even hacking a little bit or listening to your words, let me go to the Midrash where they're studying Torah. Ve'eti, and I'll come back. Ve'emalechu, and I'll tell you what I learned there. Azal, he goes to the Midrash. He hears one of the rabbis who was known as a Tana, not a Tana from the time of the Mishnah, rather one of the rabbis from after the Mishnah who would recite Mishnayot and Beraitot. That's what you would very have in the Midrash. You'd have the teacher, and then he turns to some of the students and says, Oh, can you recite to us the Mishnayot or the Beraitot from Masechet, I don't know, Masecheni today? And that's what he, so what was the statement, the Beraita, which was recited in front of Rabbi Yohanan? Kara vita'a. Person reads Kiryat Shema but makes a mistake. Ve'no yodea lehechan ta'a. Or hechan ta'a. And the person doesn't know where it was that they made that mistake. How does he know he made a mistake? He realizes perhaps that it went too fast. I'm in the middle of Kiryat Shema and I know everyone around me, I'm making this up, everyone around me is still in ve'ahavta. I hear their words and somehow I'm already in Bayomen. I must have skipped over something. Something must have happened. Or uh, the words just got jumbled. I wasn't paying attention. I think I made a mistake over there. Something about your, your, your reading, the timing is off, but you don't know where it went wrong. If you're Be'em Sahapedic, if you're in the middle of one of the paragraphs, you know you're in the middle of the Ahavta. You know you're in the middle of the Hayah. What do you do? Larosh. You go, yeah, you go to the beginning of that perik. Begin again, ve'ahavta. Begin again, ve'ahaya. Begin again, ve'yomer. Ben perik le perik. If you're in between paragraphs, I know I made a mistake, but I'm in between paragraphs. Yeah, hazor le perik rishon. You go all the way back to the first paragraph. Ben ketiva le ketiva. Fascinating. You're not sure. You know you made a mistake in uchtavtam at some point, but you're not sure if it was, you're, you're, excuse me, you're standing on uchtavtam, but you don't know if you're on the first Uchtavtam or the second Uchtavtam. Kiryat Shema, of course, says, I mean, this one, who hasn't experienced this? Twice. Which one is it? I'm not certain. You assume that you're on the first one, that's where you made a mistake, and then you continue instead of going into Lema'an Yirbu. Amar Rabbi Yohanan. Rabbi Yohanan 
exclaims and remarks to this person who's reciting this Biraita in front of him. He says, this is specifically that the person did not already say which of course is at the end of the paragraph. If you already said in other words, you're already in the paragraph of we assume it's just a flourish of your tongue you didn't make any mistakes. We assume that in Vayomer, people recite it for one reason or another. It's less cumbersome. It comes off the lips and off the tongue easier. You didn't make a mistake. You're okay. The, um, uh, so that's, that, that's his statement. In other words, his statement is when you're uncertain if you made a mistake, where you made a mistake, if you're in Vayomer, there's no repeating. We assume once you said Lema'an Yirbu, you have this uh, this steady and fluid ways of reading. It says, Rashi Sarchen Nakat, there won't be a mistake from there. If you're certain you made a mistake, you go back to emet, not to vayomer. Says the Gemara that uh, Rabbi Lazar, who was listening to this lesson, this dirasha, this shi'ur of Rabbi Yohanan, returns to Rabbi Amir and Rabbi Asen. He tells them this. He tells them, this is what I heard, and this is Rabbi Yohanan's sta- uh, response. They said it was worth us being present for tying together your chuppah. Forget about your wedding. Forget about the mitzvah of Nisuin. To hear this dirasha, to hear this devar halacha from Rabbi Yohanan, his interpretation, fantastic. It was worth it just for this. The context of them being at a wedding was just a fun detail. Well, maybe it's a fun detail for that last line. In other words, it's almost as if we're in the midst of performing a mitzvah. We're helping you to be Lazar. You know something? That's minor compared to this halakha that you just mentioned. In other words, think about aiding and helping a person. That's, that's my understanding of the detail. Helping a person in the most critical and important point of their life. So you funded the wedding, attended it, put it all together for the person, and in the middle of the chuppah, someone comes and tells you a dvar Torah. You stop and you say, you know something, this, everything I put into this was worth it for that dvar, for that dvar Torah. Really? What about the fact that you built the chuppah? What about the fact that you put the person on his feet and so forth? That's all very nice. It's a way of exclaiming. It's a way that the Gemara colors their excitement about even what seems to you and me which, as a, which a they minor detail. Knew as well. You, oh, of course. Says, Get oh, oh, this, this derasha? They're making it like it was a chidush of the century. That's an interesting point. Apparently not. You think they're just uh, appeasing uh, right. Rabbi Lazar for coming they're, back? If they're the greatest rabbis of the generation and they just heard this halacha and they're floored, I mean, something... Right. Okay. It's possible. I don't know. The Gemara doesn't tell us one way or another. It seems I'm taking it literally. Tosafot, briefly, the second one from the top, four lines down. If you're uncertain where you made a mistake, you go back to the beginning. We read just a moment ago. That was what the Tana recited in front of Rabbi Yohanan. Perush. Because you're uncertain where your mistake was. You know, you skipped over a word or a full pasuk. Excuse me. If you're certain where you made the mistake, you know you've skipped this word or that pasuk. You only go back to that pasuk or that word and you go from there on. In other words, what Tosafot is being mahadesh is don't imagine that these are segments. You know, whereas in Amidah, for example, the first three berachot are a segment 
There's no going back to, I'm, I forgot to say HaMelech HaKadosh, I'll just go back to the beginning of HaTakadosh. No such thing. HaKadosh is part of segment. You have to go all the way back to the beginning of the Amidah. Over here, there's no such thing. You can go back to that Pasuk, go back to that word, and go from there onward, and you would sufficiently and appropriately uh, fulfill the mitzvah of Kiryat Shema. Okay, let's move ahead. Our next Mishnah deals with situations where people might be or are um, exempt from Kiryat Shema, or even though you would have believed they're exempt, they're nonetheless obligated. It says the Mishnah HaUmanin, if there are uh, people who are working, and Uman is a, a craftsman. It's a person in our context who's maybe working in a quarry. He's, uh, he's chiseling uh, stones and preparing... Uh, bricks or stones of some sort. Alternatively, he's on a tree and he's chopping the trees, uh, creating logs and he's bringing forth firewood. Wouldn't everyone be an Uman in those times? Someone's work, they all work in the field or working... Well, the- it's good. the answer will be potentially yes, but Umanin, we'll see later in the Gemara, is in contrast to Baal Habayit. So you're the craftsman who works for another as opposed to it's your own business. So that's significant. If it's your own business... These laws, the Gemara will tell us, might not apply. And secondly, we're going to talk about specific types of umanim. We're going to talk about the umanim who are out in the field, in the trees, or in the quarry, as opposed to you're a blacksmith, as opposed to you're um, something, a, a, a tailor or a carpenter. In those situations, we'll see in just a moment the exemptions that we're going to mention or the particulars won't be really relevant, but you're right. Generally speaking, people were umanim. Although there were bondsmen and other sorts, but yes. Ha'umanin says the Mishnah, Korin berosh ha'ilanu berosh ha'nidbach. If you're dealing with one of these people who are working for another, and they're berosh ha'ilan, they're up in the trees, they're cutting logs, they're uh, trimming the tree, doing something of that sort, or they're berosh ha'nidbach, they're at the top of a pile of stones and rocks because they're chiseling or cutting those. What's the halacha? Korin. They say kiriyat shema in such a circumstance. Ma she'enan sh'ayin la'asot ken betfilah. That's in contrast to Amidah. So they read Kiryat Shema, even when they're at the top. They don't do this when it comes to Tefillah, to Amidah Rashi, on the right-hand side. Ha'umanin They're involved in their work and their labor. They're at the top of the tree, at the top of a pile of stones. They stop and they say Kiryat Shema, then right away. Skip the next Rashi, where he defines what a nidbach is. Desalota, Sali, we know his prayer. Rahamehi, it's a call for mercy. Uba'e kavana, and in turn needs the proper intent. Says Rashi in Amida, where you need the appropriate and requisite kavana, and you're at the top of a tree, top of a pile of stones, and you're nervous that you might fall, you're distracted and won't have the proper kavana. Why are we contrasting? Why are we distinguishing between tefillah and kiryat shema? What many of the Rishonim and Mefarshim point out is Kiryat Shema. We saw earlier in the Gemara, technically speaking, the Halakha Maaseh is Kavana, absolute Kavana, is necessary only for the first Pasuk. It's true, it's a mitzvah from the Torah, whereas Tefillah, according to many, is only Midrabanan. But Kiryat Shema, ultimately speaking, it's only Shema Yisrael, which needs that sort of Kavana. And as a result, even though it's a little rickety, it's a little bit cumbersome and difficult up there at the top, we assume that you can gather and garner enough intention, an intention so that you have the requisite kavanah for that first pasuk. No? 
Amida, although we haven't seen the details yet, apparently there's more Kavana that's necessary. There's not just one Pasuk. There's more. We will talk about this later in the Gemara, but we'll understand that until Atakadosh, there's a higher level of Kavana. You need Kavana of Omed Lifne HaMelech for the entirety. Even though, as you're saying, the comparable Kavana is only for the first segment, the first segment's a lot longer than one Pasuk. But it's still the same percentage, meaning, let's say... Percentage-wise, but ultimately, I gotcha, but time-wise, we're, we're paying attention not to percentage, we're talking... Practically, you're at the top of the tree. How much time can you gather in order to be mechavim? A few seconds. Okay. I'll read the rest, I won't have the full kavanah. Amida, I need more than five seconds. You're right, percentage-wise, it might be the same amount, but ultimately speaking, practical, in practical sense, won't be able to do it. That's what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah continues. Hatan, if a person is getting married... And he's in turn going to consummate his marriage that night. Patur He's exempt from Kriyachima that night. We'll see in the Gemara why. We already mentioned this once in the Gemara. It has to do with a Petur, an exemption called Tirda. He has a Tirda de Mitzvah. He's uh, disturbed or distracted by the fulfillment of the mitzvah. He's going to have what's called be'ilari shona. He's going to have his first marital relations that night. He might be nervous, according to some rishonim, about whether the woman will be a betula, or he might just, in general, have anxiety about the circumstance of a be'ilari shona. He's exempt la'ilari shona ve'ad. He's until exempt mosei shabbat im lo If he hasn't consummated, he hasn't had the relations. He's exempt from keriat shema. Because of, again, this tirda, this disturbance and distraction, until Mosai Shabbat. What's Mosai Shabbat? Mosai Shabbat, uh, the Gemara at the beginning, Masechi Ketubot, Daf Bet, says that they used to get married on Wednesday night. So Wednesday night means that Mosai Shabbat was four days. So it's nothing about Moshe Shabbat personally. It's not about Moshe Shabbat four days. It's four days. That's the assumption the is, today. yeah, the assumption is, well, we'll talk about the application today in the scheme of things, but yes, the assumption is within the first four days, if a person hasn't done so, they're still distracted. After the first four days, we assume the person already has gathered themselves together. Why they haven't began the relations, why they, okay, that's a separate issue, but we can state not unequivocally, we can approximate their intentionality, their state of being, they can now gather and themselves together for the mitzvah. the next day, morning, afternoon, Correct. It's just the, the only night. exemption is Kiryat Shema at night. That's what the Gemara, that's what the Mishnah is at the very least telling us. But yes, uh, great, great question. And in turn, we'll have general questions about this, most specifically in terms of how applicable this is in light of, especially these next words, Umasev Rabban Gamliel. The story the Mishnah tells us is Rabban Gamliel. He got married on the first night of marriage. He read Kriyat Shema. Rabbi, didn't you teach us the words in the Mishnah just a moment ago that you're exempt from Kriyat Shema the first night of your marriage before you had relations? He says, I won't, even for a single hour, let you take away from me Kabbalat or Machut In other words, the performance of the Mitzvah. Why does he say Because once you consummate, once you have relations, you're then obligated. So it's not as if he wouldn't be obligated that night per se, but he says, I want to fulfill it immediately. Go ahead, question. You're allowed to. Oh, that's an interesting point. That's an interesting point. What's so wrong with that's, that's a great, great, great question. In other words, what you're being medayek in our Mishnah is the fact that the students are asking Rabban Gamliel, what's his response in turn? First and foremost, are they saying you're doing an isur? Sounds like they're yelling. And at his response is, well, I can't deal with this any other way. 
Or alternatively, are they saying, we don't understand why you're doing this? And his response is exactly that point. There is no Isur. I can do this. It's just that I'm not obligated to do this. Right? That's certainly what emerges, that there is no prohibition. Why they were you know, making this claim against him is either because they had a misunderstanding and thought it was us, or alternatively they said, well, what are you doing? We thought you're exempt. If you take a look briefly at the Tosafot on the left-hand side, Tosafot points out, it says, Lav listorhu. In other words, the, the format, the structure of our Mishnah is funny. It's a little bit uh, peculiar. The Mishnah starts and says, you're exempt from Kiryat Shema Laila Rishonah. And I said, oh, you know something? Rabban Gamliel said it his first night. What? That's called Ma'aseli story. You told me a halakha, and then you brought a story that's the complete opposite. Says Tosafot, and this is very much an answer to, to a certain extent of the question, the Kamash Ma'lan, we're learning from the Mishnah, so the Mishnah is telling us, Im gadol hu boteh be'atmo she'yuchalit kaven v'u'ra'u'i litolet ha'sheh ha'rashut be'yado. What the Mishnah is telling us is this exemption is not across the board. What Rabban Gamliel was saying to his students, explains Tosafot, is that if you are worthy, if you're able to overcome the distractions, well, then you're allowed to do so, which is interesting. Tosafot's words, Harashut Be'ado, make it seem as if it would have been inappropriate otherwise. It would have been words and pesukim and mentions of God's name which would have been inappropriate. The ironic consequence of this Tosafot in the larger conversation, which we'll address at one point in the Gemara in the next day or two, um, uh, goes, as, is the, is, goes as follows. In today's day and age, where when we're not Hatanim, we're probably not having the appropriate Kavana, the opposite might go into effect. We might in turn be obligated when we are Hatanim, because even when we're not Hatanim, we don't have the requisite Kavana. In other words, the statement in our Mishnah is, you're exempt from Kiryashma on the first night, because in general, you would have the proper Kavana, now you won't be able to. Now that'll force us to consider, in today's day and age, well, do we never have the appropriate Kavana? So then why would at right, all. Right. But once we are and we can resolve that and we'll say that it's not so different than Hatan back then, well maybe in turn that'll be an ironic stringency in today's day and age for Hatanim. Okay, we'll deal with some of the issues as we get there. What we see in the Gemara, we saw initially in the Gemara the importance of being medaktek bo'otiyotea, it's misaninim lo, the esh of Gehenam. We learned that from that pasuk, befaresh instead of befares, salmavet instead of salmon. Then we saw in the Gemara the fact that it, Bil'am juxtaposes nehalim and ohalim to tell you that Torah has this effect like the purity of streams. Uh, we then in the Gemara afterwards went into the from the story of Rabbi Amen, Rabbi Aseh, as they were doing the Chupav Rabbi Azar, he comes back and reports the Halakha from Rabbi Yohanan. First and foremost, you go back to the place you forgot. If you're uncertain where you forgot, you go back to the beginning of the paragraph. You're in between paragraphs, you go back to the first paragraph. Rabbi Yohanan says, however, even though Uchtaftam and Uchtaftam, you go back to the first Uchtaftam, if you're already past Lama'an Yirbu, we assume Sirche. We assume that uh, you're, you're, you're already shagud befiv, says Rashi. By Yomer, people would, are not prone to make the same mistakes they would perhaps in Vehaya and Ve'ahavta, unless you're absolutely certain you did so. Rabbi Amen and Rabbi Aseh were very excited to hear that halacha. The Mishnah, which we then began and, and, and learned today, afterwards told us uh, several halachot, the umanim, the people who are working at the top of the tree, the top of the nidbach, the pile of rocks, they're hayavin, in Tifi 
tefillah, but exempt from, excuse me, hayavin and kriyat shema, but exempt from tefillah. What's the distinction? Well, Rashi helped us with the tefillah angle. Tefillah silota, rahame ba'er. Tefillah is prayer, and in turn, it needs a call for mercy, and you can't gather yourself when you're in that precarious, dangerous situation to focus properly. Kiryat Shema, in contrast, we filled in the gaps based on the, on the Mefarshim, is uh, just one pasuk, and as a result, we'll assume and we'll tell you, you can get that done up there. We mentioned parenthetically what the Gemara will point out at the very beginning, this is about a worker, you're working for someone, we tell you to do so. If you're the Baal Habayit, you work for yourself, you're self-employed, we'll tell you, get off the tree and say Kiryat Shema, don't just read it in the unideal situation when you're at the top of the tree. The next part of the Mishnah told us that a Hatan Laila Rishona is Patu from Kiryat Shema, and we had the Maaseh with Rabban Gamliel where he went ahead and did so anyway, and we read Tosafot, who explained for us Rabban Gamliel was not negating, he was rather in Mishnah, is clarifying and saying to us, this, um, this uh, uh, exemption from Kiryat Shema is not always, uh, it's not an across-the-board exemption. If you're a person who can muster up the ability to properly be Mechavin, then you can and should be doing so, or at the very least, you may, in the words of Tosafot, Tarishut, Biado, Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen, Ve'amen.